Do y'all need this? No, it's good. Hey, Ross, we're not going to take off up here, are we? Where did Ross go? I mean, I don't know if you can see Ross's board over here. It's, uh... Never mind. Turn to Acts 28. <laughs> Wasn't really that funny to begin with. Acts 28. Yes, thanks for your prayers for, for me and Kath as we leave. Um, pray for um, just a simplicity of travel and um, pr pray for my wife, uh, particularly. Um, I think we have, to, we have to get COVID tested a minimum of three times on this trip, maybe four. Uh, every time we change locations, you have to get a, a test and prove you're healthy and pray that It'll all go smooth, and we won't fail any tests and get stuck anywhere, um, but and everything else along the way. Uh, it's it's we're looking forward to uh, to the trip. Uh, last week I kind of interrupted our series on Acts and then prayed about what I should do, and I thought like, thanks for your prayers with me. Some of you have even told me you prayed with me um, that um, Acts twenty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Acts 28, I'm going to finish the book, and then next week, uh, Gabriel's going to start a series. Actually, Scott will start it, but then Gabriel will do a couple sermons out of Isaiah on the servant songs, and I'll help finish when we come back. Isn't it fascinating that we find America a Christian nation, that we've been defined that for um, decades now, ever since I was born. Everybody's referred to America as, as a Christian nation. Our nation has 180 to 190 million non-Christians at the moment. Uh, we're at about a 50% rate. Uh, hey, by the way, if you took, I, my understanding is if you took 180 to 190 non-Christians, we would be one of the top, that would be one of the top 10 nations population-wise on earth uh, of just non-Christians in America. One-third of all adults are, are, are unchurched, any kind of church. I'm not talking just Christian church. I'm talking any church, a third of our, all adults. And of the unchurched, listen to this, of the unchurched, one-quarter to one-half cannot name a church within a 15-minute drive of their house. Now, think about that. A quarter to a half of the unchurched can't even name a church within a 15-minute drive. Now, I understand they don't live in Birmingham, Alabama. They don't live in the South. Uh, but you would be amazed how many people have no idea the churches in their area. Um, a, third, a third of the unchurched don't know a person who goes to church. Few recall the major denominations. Even fewer know what they stand for or how they differ from each other. Major Christian leaders are unknown to them. As much as we think they're in the news all the time, they're still unknown. And one out of every three says they have never been invited to church in their entire life. Now, it's pretty phenomenal if you think about the fact that we are considered a Christian nation again how little we, the unchurched, actually know about God and faith and the church. And yet we in the church, we can't think any other way. 
Most of us, our lives have spiraled into the only people we know, the only people we hang out with, the only people we're with are churched people. So we think everybody is like us, and I want to say that's not the case. Everybody is not like us. And for some of us, what we need to do is break out of the spiral that we've been in. Listen, I like hanging out with church people. I mean, really, I, I enjoy it most of the time. Um, but, you know, it's a, hey, well, you're going to have to loosen up just a little bit. Uh, this is my last Sunday here for three weeks. I know some of you think I'm funny, some of you don't, but just go with me today. Some of us have gotten to the point, I'm, and by the way, I'm for all these things. I'm for homeschooling. I'm for Christian private school. I'm for public school. But I'm also for the church, for the small group. But do you think about it, the only teams your kids play sports on are Christian teams. The only school they go to is either your homeschool or their Christian school. The only people you hang out with are other Christians. Some of you sitting here today would say, I don't really know any unbelievers. So if I was to say to you, hey, you need to invite people to church, you would say, well, all the people I know already go to church. If that's your answer, then it's time to break out. It's time to break out of your bubble. It's time to say, God, show me a field that is wide unto harvest. I pray that the God of the harvest would send laborers into the harvest field. Let it begin with me. Show me my harvest field. Show me somebody who doesn't know Jesus so that I can enter into relationship and help draw them into the kingdom of God. Really, in some senses, the whole book of Acts is centered upon this theme. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then you will be my witnesses into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. We receive the power of the Spirit of God. Why? So we can be witnesses. Ultimately, ultimately, as John Piper says, missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because not every tongue, tribe, and nation is worshiping God at the moment. Who are those missionaries? We are. We receive the Holy Spirit. Why are the gifts of the Spirit poured out? So the body of Christ will be built up. Why does the body of Christ need to be built up? So it will be held up like a light to the world of the glory of God and show the many facets of this wonderful king we talked about. In other words, the church doesn't exist unto itself. The church exists as a light to the world. But too often, again, we spiral into just us. Why? Because just like the church in Jerusalem did, it's great to hang out with all the believers, having everything in common, sharing one another's stuff and uh, praying for one another and meeting and worshiping and hearing the apostles. I wouldn't ever want to leave there either. Now, the Lord was adding to their number, but they still weren't accomplishing what God called them to do. At the end of Acts, Acts 28, remember last week Paul was in a storm uh, and shipwrecked on the island of Malta, by the way, where he got bit by a snake. Everybody thought he was going to die, and he didn't, and it opened the door to him sharing his faith with people. He was shipwrecked for about three months there. He, remember, he's a prisoner. He's on his way to Rome. He was he's had quite a journey here. 
He went, to, he went to Jerusalem to take an offering and to worship and got arrested and ended up in Caesarea where he's a prisoner for several years, witnessing, sharing, appealed to Caesar, gets put in chains, gets on a boat, gets in a shipwreck, goes to Malta, not on his own doing, there three months, and then finally gets transferred to Rome. He's now made it to Rome, which is one of his goals was for the gospel, for Paul to share the gospel in Rome. But really, he's imprisoned. Now, he's under house arrest, so he's not like in prison prison, but he can't go anywhere. He's under house arrest, so people can come and see him. And today, I want to just finish up the book of Acts by saying what it says at the end. And so, turn to Acts 28. I'm going to read it. I don't have the verses up on the screen, so you'll actually need to follow your Bibles. Um, I'm going to start. I'm going to start in verse 11 and just read to the end of the chapter. I just love reading uh, the Word of God. So just, it's pretty narrative, so I think it'll be, it won't get too boring for you. Acts 28, 11, you there? If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat back in front of you or you know, if you're like me anymore, you, you look at it on your phone. So, after three months, we'd put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. A lot of details, right? Uh, Luke is a historian. He's there with him. Luke, Luke, by the way, who's been on this journey, this ride with Paul. Think about it. He went through the storm. He went through the shipwreck. He went through the whole thing. But God has protected him. And Verse 12, going on. We put, in at a, we put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. <clears throat> Excuse me. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Petioli. There, we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Look up here one second, and then I'll keep reading. <clears throat> a couple things to notice besides all the details. Paul is not the first to bring the gospel to Rome. There are already believers present in Rome, brothers and sisters. Do you remember Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, um, which we call Romans? Uh, he wrote that book, and in it, he's introducing himself and his gospel to the church at Rome. The church at Rome has already existed. Paul is coming into this setting, but it's been his desire to preach in Rome, to preach, encourage the church there, and to preach the gospel. So it's, he's met by some believers that are there. Verse 17, three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. Again, this is Paul's normal practice to try and talk to those who are Jewish about uh, the gospel. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. 
I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. Again, let me comment, and then I'm going on. Paul is saying to the leaders, the Jewish leaders, hey, you may have heard I'm a troublemaker. You may have heard I'm trying to, like, cause problems in Judaism. I want to assure you that is not true. That is not why I went to Jerusalem. That's not why I existed. I'm not casting aspersions against my own people. I'm not turning against them. And he said, really why I've called you here besides to defend myself is to tell you about the hope of Israel. Here's where it gets good. They replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. I love this. It's kind of like, um, hey, we haven't got anything bad about you. If you're Paul, wouldn't you rather say, hey, well, never mind then. Sorry I brought it up. Now I've caused some more questions and probably need to be answered. And he, got, and he goes on. They go on. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. We'll come back to that passage. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. I have said this over and over and over again that I believe that Jesus is the key that unlocks all of the scripture. That Paul is teaching them from the beginning through the entire Old Testament, the prophets, the law, all of it. He's showing them Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said. I'm verse 24 now. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit, he's quoting, by the way, from the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, and again, we're going to be studying the servant songs next week out of Isaiah, go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, here's Paul saying, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. So the Jewish listeners right now, they've already been getting offended and Paul is just going to slam the door. He's basically saying, quoting from Isaiah, this is exactly what the prophet was saying. Not only that, but is he say, he's saying it to the point that now the gospel has gone to the Gentiles. You know, that, it, this is worse. This is much worse than saying to an Alabama fan, you know, now the national championship is going to Auburn. <laughs> you know, now we're shutting the door on you and we're, it, it, it's coming here. I mean, this has so many ramifications that they get really mad. 
For two whole years, verse 30, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Here's what I would like for us to see this morning as we look at at this. And just a little historical context. It's a strange ending to the book. I mean, we start with the gospel in Jerusalem. We start with Jesus saying, go and be my witnesses, the Holy Spirit coming, Peter preaching that incredible sermon. And now some 30 years later, Paul is in Rome. And the book just ends. It just kind of stops. We don't know what happens to Paul. He's he's in prison. We don't know what happened to Peter. He's not mentioned at this end. Now, here, I'll just give you a heads up. Tradition says that Paul, the year after, he's going to stay in prison for two years. He's going to get released. He's probably going to go to Spain and preach the gospel. We'll come back from Spain, get arrested again. So we're in about 63 or 64 AD at this point. He gets arrested in 64 AD and is beheaded in 66 AD. So Paul's got maybe three or four years left of life, according to tradition, from when this ends. Peter, on the other hand, has come to Rome and gets arrested uh, just shortly before Paul. Again, according to tradition, we don't have any records of this. There's no biblical account. And he will be crucified upside down, according to tradition, in 64 AD. So he's going to die probably a couple of years before Paul, but Paul is under arrest about the same time Peter is martyred, both in, both in Rome. Here's, here's what I want to... I, I'm just going to close by, by going here. The first thing is this. What we see from the beginning to the end of Acts is this. It is the same gospel. The gospel has not really, it's not changed. It's still the good news. It's still the good news about Jesus. Paul is proclaiming what Peter proclaimed in Acts 2. And there are some similarities, really, if you see about the gospel that Paul is proclaiming to the Jews, that Peter proclaimed to the Jews in Acts 2. It's the same gospel that's been going forth for 30 years. Because as Paul writes to the Romans in Romans 1, he's not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, who he's been witnessing to even here, and then to the Gentiles, where he says the gospel is going. So he's not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God. For whom? Everybody. It's the power of God for everybody. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. We're 2,000 years later. We're meeting in a setting, Peter, Paul, I mean, this is not fancy, but they couldn't, they would never have believed this. You know, the setting, the, you know, think about it, the technology, the, everything that's going on. The presentation may have changed, but the gospel has not changed. 
We have the same gospel. If we ever try to change the gospel in order to fit our culture, then we don't have the gospel anymore. Let me say it again. If you try to change the gospel to meet your culture, you don't have the gospel anymore. You have some sort of hybrid. You have some sort of... Um, where, where different religions are, are, are coming together. You don't have the gospel. We have the same gospel, and we should never be ashamed of the gospel because today, just as 2,000 years ago, it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Why do we exist as a church? We exist to declare God is worthy, but to proclaim the gospel to the world. We have the same gospel. Please, I, I, I know it seems like an obvious statement, but in many corners, it's not so obvious. The gospel has been transformed. The gospel has been changed. And I use the word gospel, but it's not really the gospel. The, the message has changed to some, where it's not Jesus crucified, his bloodshed so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could be restored into a relationship with God. In many corners, the cross has been removed. The blood of Christ has been uh, taken away because they find it offensive. Well, if you don't have that, what have you got? Some corners, they, the people have taken away the fact that Jesus is fully God, is fully man. If he's not fully God and fully man, then if, let's say he's not fully God, then just a good man died on the cross. The problem with a good man dying on the cross is that a good man is not sinless. A good man could not have paid the price for our sins. Only God could pay it. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully human. There's so many parts of the gospel that if you take just away any kernel of it, then you don't have the gospel at all. A number of years ago, there was a book called uh, Darwin's Black Box by uh, a microbiologist named B, in which he didn't attack directly Darwinism. But what he attacked was the idea that evolution could have occurred. And he's a scientist... He wasn't even a Christian, honestly. He was a scientist who was looking at various parts. And for an entire book, he basically talks about the eye. And that the eye couldn't have been formed evolutionary-wise because if you remove any portion of the various makeup of the eye, it just doesn't exist. So it... It, it, it's not like the eye gradually became the eye. The, the eye either existed or it didn't exist. Does that make sense? In order, there's a block. Every, every chain of it makes up the component. It's the way the gospel is. If you start removing parts, you no longer have the gospel. You have, may have a message. You may have a word, but you don't have the gospel. We have the same gospel. Now, again, I'm hitting something that seems elementary and obvious, but I want to tell you today that the gospel is under attack. The gospel is under attack on all corners. The worst part is sometimes the gospel is under attack from those who would call themselves believers of the gospel. Rob Bell, in his book, Love Wins, goes in this direction where he, he is so moved by love that he misses the entire 
Romans 1 wrath of God scenario. He just, you know, it no longer applies. Well, if you remove the wrath of God, wrath of God is a strange term. I know it's, uh, we don't like that term. But if we remove the idea that God is such a holy, righteous God that he can't look on sinners apart from his wrath being displayed, but his love was manifest in Jesus to the point that he returns us and his, his wrath is removed or appeased or taken care of. And I know those terms are theological and kind of funny, but in, in other words, if we remove that, then we really don't have the gospel. We don't have, we don't have the gospel. Don't let those who would say the gospel has changed impact and influence your life. Stand on the word of God. Stand on the word of God. Stand on the good news of Jesus Christ. We have the same gospel. And when we preach the same gospel, by the way, we're going to get some of the same results. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of results, I think good. I think harvest. I think, I'm going to... Yes, we preach the gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Jesus said, do you think? Uh, first, in Acts 28, 22, the Jewish leaders come to fall. And he said, but we want to hear what your views are. For we know that people everywhere are doing what? They're talking against this sect. One of the primary results of the proclamation of the gospel is it is a message that is talked against. It is a message that is offensive. What do you mean I can't earn my way to God's? I'm pretty good. I'm mostly good. I'm 95% good. All I need is like a 5% boost to help me get from really, really good to holy. No, no. Here's what Paul says. Every act is like a filthy rag before God. You're 95% good, it's not, it's not near as good as you think. As a matter of fact, it's filthy. It's bad. It's rejected by God. So the result of the proclamation of the gospel is many times a division. Some will receive, just like these Jews, some were, they received the word. Others were totally offended. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? Well, yeah, that's what the angels said. Glory to God on in the highest and peace to men on whom his favor rests. But Jesus is making it, there is a peace, but not the kind of peace we think it is. There's a peace that's a relationship with God, but because the gospel is so divisive and the enemy is coming against it, he said, no, I tell you, but division from now on, well, how long is from now on? Well, that, that's a long time. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two and two against three. That's pretty specific. Um, they will be divided. Father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Jesus is trying to make the point. The gospel will divide. So yes, we are going to have incredible results of a harvest, but don't be surprised when men say evil against you. Don't be surprised when people 
turn against you. Don't be surprised when people in your own family turn against you. Why? Because the gospel, it is the power of God to salvation, but at the same time, it's, it, there's a division. Do you know, this, this thought about division coming many times will cause us to not share the gospel. I mean, Paul was going from city to city. He's getting rocks thrown at him. Trying to, people were trying to stone him, kill him. He got imprisoned. He got, for what? For proclaiming the gospel. And the, the enemy hates the gospel so much that he'll do everything he can to try and stand against it. Don't be surprised. And, and as a result, also don't back down. We are not of those who back down. We're of those who press forward. We're of those who keep moving forward in God's kingdom, proclaiming what we have, the gospel. We also have the same plan. Let me move through this quickly so I can give you some ideas and you can think about it. You'll receive power, power, when the Alabama too long. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Again, I've emphasized this so many times. I'm going to say it one more time before I leave town for three weeks. And it's this. You have to be filled and empowered with the person and work of the Holy Spirit in order to be an effective witness. It's not about learning the right formula. It's not learning the right words. He didn't go say, go here and learn this. He said, go here and be empowered. And it's the empowering presence of God that allows us to witness to the world. So you may say, you know what, I, I, I would share my faith with someone, but I, what, about, what if they ask me about the guy, let's go to Africa since I'm going there, this week. What about if they ask me about the guy in Africa who never heard about the gospel? And, and, and is he going to go to heaven or is he going to go to hell? What do I do if he asks me that question and I don't know the answer to that? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's not about answers. It's about empowerment. I mean, you have enough gospel in you to share this. I once was blind, but now I see. I once couldn't see, but now I can. That's all I know. And God has changed me by the power. Now, Peter, obviously, by the empowered presence of the Spirit and his training, is going to preach an incredible sermon in Acts 2. You may not have every answer, but don't worry about it. Share what you've got. Give away your faith by the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells you. By the way, I'm not saying be ignorant. Please, I don't think you'll ever hear me say that. Don't, don't get better, don't learn those kind of things. But that's not where the power lies. We have the same plan. The plan is this, get, in, get saved, get empowered by the Spirit of God, give it away. That's our plan. When we work in that plan, it will change us. We will, we will be focused upward. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer going on. Every day they continued to meet, I'm back in Acts 2, together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In other words, they were a worshiping people. 
please, we, we, at fullness, this is one of our hearts, is to be a worshiping people. We want to declare his worthiness. Uh, we want to worship him with everything that we are. We need to be focused upward. Focus our attention toward, toward him. C.S. Lewis says every Christian would agree. I think they would. C.S. Lewis, he's kind of over. Every Christian would agree that a man's spiritual health is exactly proportional to his love for God. And our love for God is manifest in the way we worship. Worship isn't just this, by the way. It is this, but it isn't just this. Worship is everything you do every moment of every day. Worship is when you're cooking dinner. Worship is when you're at work. Worship is when you're exercising. Worship is when you're raising your children and driving them to school. Worship is when you're driving. Some of you, that'll change your whole perspective on driving right there. Worship while you're driving. Worship is everything you do every moment of every day You were created to worship God. And through Jesus, the gospel, we get the opportunity to worship him. If this is the only time you worship on Sunday morning, I would contend, and forgive me for being so bold, but I would contend that your Christian life is anemic. It's missing the the iron. It's missing. You know, instead of, let me just throw this out here, because you'll have three weeks to forget it before I come back. But... (laughs) But try this on for size. Rather than coming here to get refilled so that you can worship later, why don't you worship there so that when you come here, there's an explosion of worship that happens of all God's believers gathering together. Do you come to church to get refilled? Or do you come to church to gather with the filled to express glory to God? Wouldn't that change our worship services if every Sunday morning we came, I am so filled up with the glory of God. I can't wait to get to the house of God. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Why? Because we all get to worship together. And I know the people around me, they're all going to be filled too. Just a thought. At the same time, this plan, not only does it focus us upward in worship, it also focuses things inward. Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, I prayed this into you today, and this is the reason why. Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with careful observations, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is where? It's in you. Lord, kingdom come, will be done. Where? On earth. But really what we're praying, in me, let your kingdom power be released within me, within within us. Look, there's an inward aspect that worship of God changes me. The kingdom of God comes within me. And at the same time, it is inward, meaning us. They continue to gather together in the temple courts, praising God. All people will know that you are my disciples. How? 
love one for another. There's an inward personal, but there's an inward corporate, so to speak, for the body of Christ. I'm feeling pretty free today because I'm not going to see you for three weeks. So um, I, I, I have to be honest. I've considered turning off the live stream of the church. And you're like, what? What? Now, you may not know this, but for instance, last week, we had as many people from our numbers watching online as we had present in the building. I understand that there are some who can't come because of sickness, and there are some who can't come because of, uh, of having to be isolated health-wise, and, and I want to sell, I want to, hey, welcome, we're glad you're here. But if you're at home in your pajamas and you're just too lazy to get to your church, I want to say get your butt out of bed and get to church. Why? Because this is where the life of God happens. This, in, the inward part of the gospel, they, they gathered together in the temple courts. They got together with each other. And we want to encourage and not, I, I don't, I feel bad in some ways making it really easy for people to not come to church. Is that overstepping? Maybe. And I understand there are different reasons. Again, I'm giving grace. But there are some who just, I'm not sure they'll ever go back to church really because it's just so easy not to. It's not the same. It is not the same. The gospel connects us to one another. As a matter of fact, one of the things that happens is this going to church is not just about what you get. It's about what you get to give. And if you're not here, we're missing it. In other words, your staying at home and watching online is robbing the church of your gifts and your presence and being together as the people of God. I think it's critical that the gospel transforms us, makes we who were many into one. And we come together as one as the body of Christ. It is great worship. It's great to be together. We need to be together. So I want to encourage you to come. Come to church. You know, church is a funny word. I understand. When I was in seminary a long time ago, I, I taught at a seminary. And I was, I was really proud when um, I became a teacher because then I got to go into the teacher's lounge. <laughs> you know, up, up until then, you couldn't go in the teacher's lounge. That was like the holy of holies. You couldn't go in. So there's one of my good friends uh, who is like 10 years older. Who is a, and, and so I was saying to him, he was saying, what's the best part about you now becoming a teacher? He was a professor there. I said, I'm going to go to the teacher's lounge. He said, oh, no. I'm like, what, what? I can't go to the teacher's lounge? I think I'm in now. And he goes, this is a seminary. We're not, a call, we're not allowed to call it a lounge. And I, I laughed, and he was so serious. The Baptist had removed the word. It's the teacher's room. It's the teacher's break room. It is not the teacher's lounge, because in Baptist words, lounges were like dancing. Just not, just not permitted. You know, you might go to the lounge to dance, therefore we can't have a lounge. 
For some people, church has become like that. It's, it's just a word. It, it, it means nothing. I want to encourage us as the body of Christ to gather as the body of Christ. I'm not going to turn off the live stream. I'm just telling you that I've gotten frustrated about it at times when I've heard of people who, never mind. I don't want to get all worked up. And finally, this same plan directs us outward. And this is where the gospel, this is where we've been pointing the whole week, uh, whole week, whole last six weeks, is that the gospel has to go outward. We get saved so that we worship God. We're built up in the body of Christ inwardly and together. And then we focus it outward. It says they disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul made this statement. The Holy Spirit speaks the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding, you will be ever seeing but never receiving, for the people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes what happens when your eyes are opened. You get to see you get to see, that's our goal, is to share the gospel in a way that people see what? See who? They see Jesus. What do people see when they look at us? We want them to see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn so that God can heal them. How are they going to hear unless someone shares? How are they going to see unless we're there? How are they going to know him unless somebody, what, tells them, goes and tells them? Ultimately, church, we have to get outside and let the gospel go forth. And that's really what this whole series, I hope, has been about, is that the gospel goes from this place to be shared with the world around us. Just because I'm going to Africa this week doesn't mean I'm any more spiritual than Rob when he goes to Norwood. Hello? Some people might look and say, oh, yeah, pastor's going to Africa. That's pretty spiritual. No, spiritual, more spiritual than um, uh, Melissa going down to UAB. It's no, no different than when Chris goes to AT&T or Hannah goes to Briarwood. Or, or, anywhere you're going to go this week, the gospel is going because you're going, right? So we want the gospel to go from this place into your harvest field, your sphere of influence, in order that you can influence it and impact it for the kingdom of God. The end of this book says this, Acts, I mean. He says, he proclaimed the kingdom of God. And taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, without hindrance. We want to see the gospel go forward unhindered. That's the end of Acts, is the gospel goes forth unhindered. Now, I'm, I'm reluctant to say this because there's a church planting movement called Acts 29, but I believe we are Acts 29. We are what happens when the gospel goes forth unhindered. We should be to share with the world around us in order that worship occurs going for, upward to God. It, it, it changes us. It changes us together, and then it goes forth to the world 
around us. May we be a people who walk in the power of the Spirit unhindered so the gospel goes forth. Lord, we thank you this morning. We proclaim your your goodness and your greatness. We love you, O Lord. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us where we, we have not walked in the power of the Spirit, meeting those who are lost, sharing the same gospel, the goodness of God, proclaiming your greatness to the world around us. God, forgive us where we haven't worshipped as we should every moment of every day. God, forgive us where we haven't gathered as the body of Christ, building one another up and declaring your glory and praises, walking in your gifts so that we can be strengthened, so that we can declare to the world the glory of God. Forgive us, Lord, where we have not shared our faith, but instead been embarrassed by the gospel. Lord, we, I pray shame would be broken off of us in Jesus' name so that we too can say we're not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for everyone who believes. Let your power be released in us and through us to touch the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.